Welcome to Parcast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artists episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the Parcast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular Parcast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today we're discussing cases of post-traumatic stress disorder. What horrific events led to this diagnosis in victims? And what can be done to relieve symptoms? Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016... Adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is a mental health condition that develops after a person is a victim of, or witness to, a traumatic situation. These situations may include abuse, sexual assault, kidnapping, or domestic violence. Symptoms must be present for at least one month for a diagnosis to be made, and may include flashbacks, avoidance of talking about the event, feeling tense, and negative thoughts. Not everyone who experiences trauma will develop PTSD, and recovery is possible for those who have been diagnosed. Experts at the National Center for PTSD recommend that people who have experienced a traumatic event should seek out support from other people, whether from friends, family members, or a professional therapist. PTSD research has shown that psychotherapy that focuses on talking through the traumatic event and facing the negative feelings that have transpired helps mitigate symptoms. Some who have been diagnosed may need antidepressants or other medication to help relieve their symptoms. Now that we have a basic understanding of what PTSD is and how we might treat it, our clips today will cover victims who develop PTSD as a result of their traumatic experiences. We'll start with a clip from Parcast Original Female Criminals. Treva Throneberry was born in 1969 and raised in Electra, Texas. Treva's older siblings got married and left home as teenagers. 
which left Treva as the only child in the home. Her uncle, Billy Ray, visited often and sexually assaulted her. Treva left her home at 15 and went through several foster homes and hospitals before she turned 18. As she aged, Treva fixated on the youth her uncle had stolen from her. In response to this trauma, she began posing as a teenager, even though she was already well into adulthood. In 1995, Suzanne Arnold, the Plano Child Protective Services worker supervising Treva's case, got a call from someone working at a treatment center. The caller had grown up in Electra and told Suzanne she thought she recognized 26-year-old Treva, but by a different name. After this report, Suzanne dug deeper and compiled evidence, including records, photos, and handwriting samples. She showed these to Treva and demanded an explanation, but Treva still swore she was 16-year-old Kara Williams. Suzanne didn't believe her. Treva was discharged from government supervision and found herself looking for a new city again. She arrived in Asheville, North Carolina in June of 1996 as Emily Kara Williams. By August, she had moved on to Altoona, Pennsylvania. There, someone spotted the name Suzanne Arnold written in her notebook and made a call to the Plano social worker. Treva was tracked down and sent to jail for nine days for issuing a false police report against her fictional Tennessee father, who she claimed ran a child pornography ring. But she was back at it as soon as she was free. Her unique journey back in time took her to Louisiana, New Jersey, and Ohio. In 1997, 28-year-old Treva arrived in Vancouver, Washington, posing as 16-year-old Brianna Stewart. She made her way to the Glad Tidings megachurch, where she sought refuge as a runaway. A church secretary took her in and then drove her to Evergreen High School to enroll her as soon as possible. Treva told the school counselor that she was a runaway from Mobile, Alabama, looking for her birth father after her mother's murder. She said she'd been homeschooled and therefore couldn't provide any proof of previous education. No one questioned her age. If she looked too old, that could be attributed to what had clearly been a very hard life. Mental health professionals in Vancouver didn't know the truth of what Treva had endured, but they thought she might have amnesia or some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder because she seemed hazy about the details from her past. PTSD can manifest in a wide array of symptoms, including fear, anxiety, avoidance, withdrawing from others, depression, suicidal thoughts, and amnesia. Instead of poking holes in Treva's stories, the mental health workers reasoned she may have been repressing traumatic memories. Her inability to persuasively describe her past actually helped her cover story. In that clip from Female Criminals, 28-year-old Treva Throneberry began posing as a 16-year-old named Brianna Stewart. 
Her behavior led mental health professionals to believe she had PTSD. Trifa never spoke to a professional about the abuse her uncle subjected her to. As such, she was never officially diagnosed with PTSD. However, her case shares many similarities with cases in which a PTSD diagnosis has been made. And regardless of the diagnosis, she clearly suffered trauma in her early life. While Triva's trauma occurred in her childhood, our next subject's trauma happened as an adult. Coming up, we discuss serial killer Amelia Dyer. Now back to the show. Though PTSD is commonly associated with childhood abuse, it's also possible for adults to be affected by trauma in this way. Many criminals develop PTSD as a result of their time spent in prison. Our next clip from Parcast Original Serial Killers covers Amelia Dyer, who murdered between 300 and 400 babies over a 30-year span in Victorian England. In 1869, Amelia opened a baby farm to support herself financially. But when a doctor noticed four babies had mysteriously died in her care, Amelia was sent to prison for negligence. Amelia served six months of hard labor at Shepton Mallet Prison, England's most notorious and brutal prison. After she was released, Amelia seemed disturbed. She had spent six months picking oakum for at least eight hours a day, and it seemed the hard labor had done noticeable damage to her psyche. After a year of dodging the governess, 55-year-old Amelia Dyer found herself face-to-face -face with her nemesis in October of 1891, flanked by police officers. They questioned her on the whereabouts of the governess's child, and Amelia struggled to provide answers. She reverted back to her original story about handing the baby to a couple on the train platform, but there were gaping holes in her story. Regardless, neither the police nor the governess could provide evidence against Amelia, so there was little the authorities could do. No charges were brought against her, but the entire ordeal shook her, and she fell into hysterics. Amelia began to relive her six horrific months of hard labor at Shepton Mallet, and it pushed her over the edge. That night, she attempted suicide. William returned home from work to discover Amelia writhing on the ground, slash marks across her throat. She claimed to be hearing voices urging her to kill herself. For roughly a month, Amelia's daughter Polly was charged with looking after her mother as she experienced a nervous breakdown. William was away at work, so Polly became the sole caregiver. Amelia continued to claim to hear voices and even attacked Polly on at least one occasion. Amelia likely suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, as a result of her six months in prison. According to Dr. Lee G. Thomas, symptoms of PTSD include, quote, reliving a traumatic event, avoiding anything which brings back memories of the trauma, abnormal jumpiness or irritability, feeling stressed out constantly, a low or depressed mood most of the time, and feelings of self-blame or anger towards some other figure supposed to be responsible for the present situation, end quote. The threat of possibly going back to prison theoretically made Amelia relive her time in Shepton Mallet and caused a mental breakdown. But Amelia had also proven herself to be smart, calculated, and manipulative. She had witnessed the mental deterioration of her mother and spent time working as a nurse in an insane asylum. She knew that life as a patient in an asylum was far better than that of an inmate in prison. 
Despite being rattled by her time in prison, Amelia had never before shown signs of PTSD. It wasn't until the police came knocking that she suddenly fell ill, leading some to speculate that Amelia's mental breakdown was completely fabricated. If she could get thrown into the asylum, the police might ease up, or at least believe that she had no idea what happened to the governess's baby. After weeks of Amelia's erratic behavior, William decided to call a physician and have Amelia looked at. The physician, Dr. David Bernard, believed that Amelia was a danger to herself and to her family. He referred her to the county asylum in Gloucester, 30 miles from her current home in Eastville, Bristol. In that clip from Serial Killers, Amelia Dyer's husband, William, grew concerned by her erratic behavior. Amelia was taken to an asylum. Though it's unknown if Amelia truly had PTSD, it would not be surprising. Researchers at the University of Wisconsin in Madison found that the prevalence of PTSD in prisoners is much higher than that of the general population. According to the study, 20% of prisoners suffer from PTSD, as compared to just 3 to 6% in the general population. With statistics like these, it is entirely possible Amelia's symptoms were real, just misunderstood at the time. From childhood sexual abuse to harsh prison conditions, we have seen PTSD manifest in a variety of different ways. Our final clip from Hostage covers Captain James Riley. James and his crew were taken hostage in 1815 after their ship wrecked off the coast of Morocco. The crew was taken across the Sahara Desert, subject to brutal conditions and beatings by their captors. James bartered with a man named Sadi Hamet, who helped them escape their captors and make their way home. Sadi Hamet was so moved by his friend, he agreed to go into the desert with his brother Saeed and search for the rest of the crew and free them in the same way that he had helped James. James thanked him copiously, then set off for his homeland. For all his suffering, the people of Morocco had endeared themselves to him, and he considered Sidi Hamet a friend until his dying day. Sidi Hamet kept his promise and secured the release of two more of James's crew over the next few years. However, news later got back to James that two Muslim brothers had been stoned to death by robbers in the desert while traveling alone between cities. As he never heard from Sidi Hamet again, he was sure the two men killed were he and his brother Saeed. He mourned the loss of his friend for the rest of his life, and as tribute to him, wrote down the many adventures Sidi Hamet had shared with him during their time together, about his travels to Timbuktu and back, and published those stories along with his own in 1817. James spent the rest of his life battling illness and PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder. He often suffered a rush of fear at the sight of strangers who resembled his captors, and on at least one occasion, disassociated from reality for the span of three days. According to author and psychiatrist Dr. Roxanne Dryden Edwards, this kind of memory gap, called blacking out, is common in victims of PTSD. They can suffer memory loss for entire windows of time and have difficulty surfacing these memories. His first blackout lasted three days, 
where he huddled in a corner in his bedroom, nearly incapacitated. Psychiatrists argue over whether there is such a thing as repressed memories. However, the theory is that the brain literally shuts down when circumstances seem too dangerous or too much to handle as a defense mechanism until the body is ready to cope. James detailed much of his experience with this in his memoirs. His book, which was a primary source in writing these episodes of Hostage, also became a bestseller when it was first released. After returning home, James devoted his life to anti-slavery activism. He also returned to sea, captaining a new vessel that traveled from New York to the Bahamas. 25 years after his time in Morocco, he died at sea on March 13, 1840, of an unknown disease that his crew believed he contracted while in Africa. He was 62 at the time of his death. In that clip from Hostage, Captain James Riley was able to escape his hostage situation and return home. But the symptoms from the brutal ordeal he endured persisted after his escape. James blacked out several times as a result of his PTSD. Thankfully, James was able to turn his troubles into activism against slavery. The subjects of today's clips all experienced different types of trauma that manifested into symptoms of PTSD. Trefa Throneberry in Female Criminals experienced horrific childhood sexual abuse that influenced her later crimes. In Serial Killers, Amelia Dyer completed a strenuous sentence in prison, which may have contributed to a breakdown she suffered after her release. And while Captain James Riley escaped his captors in hostage, he did not escape the long-term PTSD effects of his captivity, suffering blackouts and memory lapses long after his freedom. Thanks for tuning into ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll be back next week with a new episode on commentary from the people that surround criminals. What do the close friends and families of criminals say about the crimes their loved ones have committed? If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Female Criminals, Serial Killers, or Hostage on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. I'll see you next time.